Welcome to the Pilot's Journey Podcast, where we discuss aviation training and the steps involved in maintaining proficiency. Our goal in this podcast is to provide you with additional knowledge and maybe a new spin on topics related to your training. I'm Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stu, a private pilot from North Dallas. And my name is Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stu, a certified flight instructor near Fort Worth, Texas. This episode, we'll be discussing how to get started as a pilot and what motivates different people to become involved in aviation. Our guest this episode is Susan Pruitt. She's the publisher and editor of Flight Plan Magazine and a prospective student pilot, or actually a student pilot underway. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Nice to have you here. We're going to start the episode with a quick uh, tutorial on So You Want to Be a Pilot. So you've decided to become a pilot. Great. But where do you begin? Well, your local airport is a good start. However, picking a flight school can be tough. I recommend picking a school that can best meet your flying goals. Perhaps you want to make a career out of becoming a pilot, as well as getting that degree. Some colleges offer flight training, such as Embry-Riddle. If you're just looking for a rating that will help you poke holes in the sky, maybe your local Part 61 school is the best choice. Either way, research is a must before landing on a flight school. There are also two types of schools, uh, Part 61 and 141. 141 schools have higher standards of training than your Part 61 schools. Therefore, the FAA allows 141 schools to graduate students with less hours, saving you time and money, or in theory. However, Part 61 schools seem to be more flexible in their training syllabus, allowing you to fit your training around your schedule, more so in my opinion than a 141 school. But how do you know what the instructors are like, or their airplanes? Well, just about every flight school offers intro flights. This is a great way to meet the instructors and test out their aircraft. An intro flight around here usually goes for about $150 for an hour of flight. This is also a good time to ask all your questions, and you need to ask questions. After you pick a school, there are going to be some things you'll need for your training. Plotters, E6B, a sectional of the airspace in which you're going to be doing your training, a logbook is important, and lastly, your student certificate. When picking a logbook, think about your future needs as a pilot. If you plan on becoming an airline pilot, a nice big professional logbook like the ones Jeppesen make are perfect. Keep your logbook in a safe place and always keep your hours backed up. I use an electronic logbook software. Other pilots I know simply use an Excel spreadsheet to back up their hours. Both work just as well. Getting your student's pilot certificate requires a visit to your FAA medical examiner. After a brief examination, you will be issued a piece of paper that counts as both your student certificate and your medical certificate. Both are needed for training. www.faa.gov has information on your nearest FAA medical examiner, as well as an online form you will need to fill out for your visit to the doctor. Once you have your student certificate and a logbook, you have already taken that first step as a pilot. Thanks, CFI Stu. And now, Susan, if you don't mind, we'd like to ask a few questions about how you got started on your pilot's journey. Great. First off, how did you go about getting your medical? 
You know, it was actually very easy. Um, you go to the FAA site, and well, like uh, CFIs too, so said, and you <laughs> fill out the paperwork, and it, and it's really it's very easy. Um, it's it's quite simple. You go, you you have literally just kind of a regular physical, like you get from your doctor every year, and um, that was it. Oh, I, I don't really remember. It's been a long time since I've uh, I had my student pilot certificate because I know they're they're both one and the same, your medical and your student pilot certificate. But mm-hmm. was there um was it still just the same physical for did he ask you any questions pertaining to the student certificate part of the uh medical? Not that I recall. Um you know, he, he asked me general health questions more than, than anything. You know, do you drink? Do you smoke? Do you have a family history of epilepsy? I mean, basic, uh, pretty much standard standard things. There, uh, he actually asked me more vision questions and, uh, you know, family history of heart attack type, type things, I think, than even my own doctor does. And so I, I found that kind of interesting because some of the other students in my class that had gone to other places didn't have as in-depth uh, some of those questions. So I don't know if it was just me or or what, but it was it was just a basic medical. Yeah, we uh, you're right. They do ask a lot of those questions about your your heart condition. I actually had a student who had her medical taken away uh, because she put on the questionnaire that she does have a. Um, past history of heart conditions. Oh. <laughs> so so that may not have been the smart move, but after some, uh, it took about six months before she actually got her medical and could continue her training. Did you get your medical before you started training or were you actually uh, doing some training before then? No, I got it before. I think part of me was secretly hoping I wouldn't pass. <laughs> <laughs> so I- I wouldn't actually have to go to flight school and, and, and do that because I was really very nervous and, and apprehensive about it. But I did that first. That um, When I started kind of looking for places to, to go to flight uh, training, that was always the first question was, well, have you had your medical yet? And so I said, well, okay, I need to get that out of the way so I can answer that question. Yes, moving forward. So I actually, that was the first thing I did. What is it that drew you to flying in the first place? A couple of things, really. Uh, I've, I grew up around aviation. My dad was a pilot, and we flew quite a bit when I was a kid. I always loved it, and I always wanted to live on an airport. And someday I will, um, you know, live a, on a uh, at an air park or someplace like that. But I just, I've always been passionate about it. I was one of those kids that, you know, on the playground, I hear a plane going overhead, and you know, my eyeballs go to the sky, and what is that? And where are they going? And you know, kind of those questions. So I was really drawn to it, and. I loved flying with my dad. We lived um, near a lake. We actually lived near Lake Conroe uh, down in Houston. And we'd fly over. Back then, it wasn't quite as regulated as it is now. And so we, you know, we did a lot of, of fun stuff. And so I really enjoyed it. But as I got older, the idea of me getting my pilot's license never really occurred to me until probably I was in my 20s. Um, my, my dad actually had a really really hard landing. Um, I mean, well, we'll call it a crash. <laughs> we walked away, but the plane was severely damaged uh, when I was 11. And I didn't fly again until I was 18. Commercial, gee, I, I never got in another airplane uh, until I was 18. And I really wanted to overcome that when I was in my 20s. I really wanted to um, to do something to 
you know, further my love for aviation. And it's taken me, it's taken me 10 years to get my courage up to, uh, to go ahead and take the leap and get into, uh, you know, into, into flight training. Was there one thing that pushed you over the edge to go ahead and start at this point? My daughter, actually. Uh, I, I used to take her from the time she was two, three years old. I would take her out to our local airport, and we'd watch the planes take off and land until the sun went down. And she would just giggle and laugh and thought that was the neatest thing. And uh, as she's grown up, and we've kind of continued that tradition, we, we do it almost every weekend. We're, we're, at some, we're somewhere. And um, she's always said, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a pilot. And there was this mental pressure for me as the mom, this role model, well, I need to get my pilot's license too. Uh, I, so I can help her along as she gets to that age where she can get hers. And to really set that example, I mean, she was one of those kids that would say, mom, you know, can girls fly? I mean, she was serious. Can girls fly? Really? I said, okay, that was that one moment for me that pushed me over the edge. You know, not only can girls fly, mommy can fly too. You know, mommy's a pilot and or mommy's going to be a pilot. And so that was really one of the biggest, I think, moments for me was to uh, to go ahead and, and get signed up and get it going to encourage her and to be that role model for her in her life uh, and help her kind of pursue her goal of being a pilot. Oh, that's a great story. That's great. Mommy wants to be a pilot. So what does mom do next? The next thing mom does is get on the computer on uh, do a whole bunch of Google searches for flight schools. And I actually did my very first Google search that I typed in. And, of course, I, I knew quite a few people out at the airport from uh, my previous uh, career and didn't call them. I, I didn't want to seem like a complete idiot. So I literally typed in, so you want to be a pilot, comma, Dallas, Texas. And all these websites came up with the local flight schools and, and things like that and some local training. Of course, all of the, the pilot shops online kind of popped up. And so I just started doing some research. What does it cost? How much time is it going to take? Where do I have to go? Is it a classroom setting? You know, just kind of what are the logistics of it? And um, at the time, I was a single mom. So I knew that financially and logistic time-wise, it was going to be pretty difficult. And I discovered very quickly after calling and visiting some flight schools that it actually was very easy. And so I started at that point to go around and talk to the different flight schools and see about interviewing some flight instructors and trying to find what was going to be a good fit for me. Why don't you? Uh, well, I'm curious about your interviewing the flight instructors. What did? What are you looking for for flight instructors in um, in the schools you were going to? The first thing that I was looking for was hours, uh, years of experience, different types of ratings. What types of aircraft have you flown? Do you own? Um, I, I really, you know, if Chuck Yeager lived here in Dallas, I'd be knocking on his door. Um, <laughs> Because that was the kind of experience that I was looking for, was someone who has literally stalled out and, and has recovered and had some of those near misses and walked away and had that experience to bring to the table. But also someone who, they, they were not going to be young, I mean, as far as for me. They needed to at least be 
you know, we're talking Vietnam era pilot, someone that really had a lot of experience. And, um, you know, because I know me personally, I'm a very type A person. And I get something, I get fixated on something, and I literally need someone to smack my hand and say, I said no, stop it. You know, and I knew that that was the kind of flight instructor I was going to need, someone that wasn't going to be afraid to hurt my feelings um, if it was going to save my life. And so those were some of the questions that I started with was, you know, what are, how many hours do you have, different types of aircraft, your ratings, uh, air, different airports you've flown in, you know, worst conditions you've ever flown in, and how did you handle that, that sort of thing. And I think they probably felt like they were applying for American when I got done with them. <laughs> Did you you eventually found that that instructor though, right? I did. I did. I was very fortunate uh, through a local flying club to find an instructor who has a great sense of humor and really fun guy, but is very he's very stern. Which for me personally, because everybody's different, but for me personally, that's really what I needed. And I needed someone who wasn't going to let me do things, even though I thought I was ready. If he didn't really feel like I was, he wasn't going to let me go ahead and do it. Someone that I couldn't convince, yeah, I'm ready to do this. And um, I was really I was really fortunate. A lot of the flight schools I went to, uh, the very first one I physically drove to and went in and said, went through the procedures of the, you know, here's the rates and here's the aircraft. And we have X number of flight instructors. And I very stupidly said, great, you know, what's the process of me sitting down to interview them? And the girl behind the counter laughed, and she she literally said to me, "Honey, you don't interview your flight instructors. I mean, you get the next one on the list, but trust me, they're all good." <laughs> yeah, she's new. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you know, of course, I I didn't even take their rate sheet with me. I just turned around and left. But very good it, decision. Yeah, it it was a process, and and I think that. Um, one of the things that encouraged me the most with the instructor that I, that I have in the club that I have is I had kind of gotten a little frustrated along the way and started maybe taking it a little personally and thinking, gosh, okay, well, maybe women can't fly. You know, I, I need to find a flight instructor. And when I contacted this club and said, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, I want to get my pilot's license, uh, my husband's, you know, uh, interested in renewing his, and my daughter also wants to be a pilot. And their question was, where are you, where do you live, and how soon can you be here? <laughs> right. They were very excited, very welcoming, and it's it's been a great experience working with them. Well, that's good. I'm glad you've uh, you landed on a flight school that uh, agrees with you and your goals. That's very good. Had you considered a female instructor, or were you able to find any that met your criteria? Uh, actually, I, I in the process, I did not even meet with one until after I had already started. And I felt like that initially maybe a female instructor would have been the best way for me to go, understanding kind of what some of the challenges were going to be and some of the time restrictions and and some of the things, you know, that as moms we we worry about when you're getting in the air. And um, I I didn't feel like that was as big of a factor for me as experience. A number one thing was was going to be experience and, and flight time. Did, did you find it intimidating at all going through the uh, the flight schools, for instance, the one that said, no, you can't interview? Did you have that kind of experience in more than one place? Uh, I had it in two of the larger flight schools at kind of the larger airports. And I think that, you know, they 
I don't know, it's like herd cattle through there, I think, is kind of the, the feeling that I got was, okay, great, not another person wants to be a pilot, don't you know, don't you know we're busy today, was really that impression. But overall, I'd say I had a really good um, experience with the flight schools that I contacted. I went to the local pilot shop and got a bunch of the uh, business cards of the instructors that do private instruction and, um, you know, just trying to see what was out there. And a lot of them that I called, some of them were too expensive. Some of them didn't have the type of aircraft that I was interested in, in flying in. And so there were some other deciding factors as well. Um, I know that Cessna, you know, makes a great aircraft and I see a bunch of them and, you know, I think they're kind of like the training standard for a lot of flight schools, but you know, I, I really wanted to fly Bonanza. I wanted to, to get some time in a Mooney. Um, I wanted to have some high wing and low wing uh, experience. And so to find somebody that had access to those aircraft was was important. It wasn't the deciding factor, but it, it was important. And so I'd say overall I had a really good experience. You were mentioning female instructors, and I, I had a female instructor for my uh... – my instrument rating, and uh, she was great. She uh, she did a very good job when she would take me up in actual IMC conditions, and uh, I remember her pretty fondly, actually, for doing some of those things for me. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm noticing a lot more actual female instructors now. I don't know if that's just after I became an instructor. I know more instructors now, but I'm noticing a lot more female uh, instructors in the industry now. I, I am too, um, and I can tell you, of course, from a, a couple different perspectives. I mean, it, it wasn't until after I started that you, you go to these meetups and fly-ins and things like that, and you're you're in and out of the um, you know the hangar a lot more, and then you start to run into them and you see them and you meet them. And go, wow, you know, I really had no idea there were this many female instructors, and I'm really happy with the one that I have. I wouldn't switch, but I uh, I think my AOP uh, training magazine that I got, I think it was, it was either the December, I think it was the December issue was the collegiate issue. And you look through there and two thirds of the ads were all female pilots. So I think that a lot of the schools are targeting specifically targeting women. We're only five to 6% nationally of people that are flying. So we're a demographic that definitely needs to be, as we increase, you know, of course, in, in our population, but I think that we're, we're the next ones where, as far as gender, where it's going to happen. And I think that the, the universities and the flight schools are starting to realize that, that we really are kind of that um, undiscovered source, so to speak. And so, you know, I think that because of, of the way advertising is going and, and the way that they're marketing now more to women is why you're seeing more women actually go ahead and jump in and and uh, start to start taking you know getting some training. So do you don't think a lot of people had that same impression you that women can't fly? Not not in front of me, not around me. <laughs> not, <laughs> not to your face. face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just amazed that in you know I haven't had a tremendous amount of training, but I've only run across one female instructor that I actually had a chance to fly with. And out of probably, I'd say, eight to ten instructors that I've flown with at some point in time, and I only know of one uh, pilot examiner that is a female. And it just seems unusual to me that uh, women are, are so prevalent in so many areas of society, and yet we see so few in the, the airports. 
You know, what I find so interesting, women were so prolific in aviation in the early days and even going up to World War II with the WASP. And and I think that I, I don't know. It's something that I'm still looking into and still kind of researching. It seems like we were really going strong until the end of World War II. And I almost get the impression that it was like, okay, well, that was fun, honey. You need to go get back in the kitchen and take care of the kids. And I know you love flying, but now you need to go back to doing what you are supposed to be doing. I don't know if it was societal. I don't know if it was kind of the self-imposed moratorium. But the number of women that held pilot's licenses dropped significantly after World War II. And then... When you look at the, the, the 60s and then, of course, you have the Mercury 13 and everything that happened with, with the Mercury. Um, and then you start kind of get, like I said, you get into the 60s and the 70s is when women started to break some of those commercial barriers. But I, I, something changed. And I, I don't know, again, if it was societally or, or what, but women just weren't as encouraged as much to get into aviation. And I think that it's something that has held in our society um, for far too long. There's a lot of women that I know that are entrepreneurs, they're successful business owners, and I talk to them about, hey, have you ever considered getting your pilot's license? And their immediate kind of reaction is, oh, God, you know, I've already broken one barrier. Why don't I go break another one? You know, they have this, this impression that it's this old boys club. I know that not to be the case. The aviation community, to me, has always been the best community that I've ever been involved with. Wonderful people, very supportive, very encouraging, and um, always willing to answer questions. Hanger, flying, you know, let's go, let's jump in the plane. And so I think that if we can just get more people exposed to it and kind of put aside some of those, um, you know, preconceived ideas, that we'll get more people in the sky. Where are you in your flight training right now? Um, I actually have uh, about 25 hours under me right now, a little more than halfway there. And uh, my my issue, of course, you know, winter in Texas and, and being the apprehensive flyer that I am, I, I like for it to be a nice day with not a lot of wind. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very picky about when I go up and... Um, is both I, pilots do for sure. You know how um, we all are both pilots do. What am I saying? Um, uh, I think I'm in, is in reference to this podcast, I am CFI stew. CFI stew. Okay. Well, you know how windy it can be here. Yes. And it's wow. Yeah. That was one of the, the reasons that I chose to train at the airport where I am now is because it is always gusty and, of course, there's a lot of, you know, downbursts and things like that around here. And um, so I probably, I'd have soloed by now, I think, if I would go ahead and take a few more chances than, than what I have taken. Well, I, I definitely do yourself a service and get your instructor to take you out on, on a good windy day. Nothing too ridiculous. You know, keep it under 30 knots, hopefully. But um, have, have your instructor take you out and do practice crosswind landings. Uh, that will that will really help you out, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, and realize, oh, this isn't too hard. I, it's only gusting twenty five out. I can still go out today, you know. And then really make it interesting and start on a tailwheel. Tailwheel will be a little bit different. 
And that's what I'm beating my head against the wall at the moment. <laughs> How is your tailwheel endorsement going? Uh, I'm not getting to fly as much because of that same wind, um, but it is challenging. Um, if it's wind straight down the runway, it seems to be doing great. If it's wind at about a uh, 45 to 90 degree crosswind, then it's not quite so pretty. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we had that good week. We had that good week here recently where it was uh, it was gusting 30, 35 all week almost. And uh, yeah, I was definitely grounded during that period too. We have a school policy that. Our insurance doesn't cover our airplanes if it's over 30 knots. Though I may have been out in stronger than that, but... Not officially, of course. Not officially, no. No. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, and, and I think, too, um, you know, now that, now that I've started, I went from, okay, let's, let's overcome my fear of, of flying. Um, I overcame my, my fear of heights by uh, going to skydiving school. And so that was the first thing, was get over the fear of heights, and then, you know, now get over the fear of flying. But as far as certifications go, I definitely want, you know, IFR, I want the tailwheel, and uh, multi-engine, and, you know, one of the things that I've kind of been trying to find out about is the, and y'all will have to help me out here and correct me if I, if I get this terminology wrong, but it's the... Um, Oh, doggone it. And now I can't remember. It's it's the emergency um, upset procedures. Upset training? Tra- upset training. Thank you. Upset training. Have either of you had that? I have not had that. I don't believe. The instructor I'm taking the tailwheel endorsement for uh, also teaches spin training. And that's the next thing on the list following the tailwheel is to move from the, the cub over to the decathlon and do some true spin training. Yeah, I think I think for me that's the next thing that I want to do. And that's that you know that's just going to make you a better pilot. I, I'm I'm a big uh, advocate to uh, all my private students to try to convince them to continue on into at least their instrument. And uh, you know it's just going to lower your insurance rates anyway and uh, make you a safer pilot in the long run. And so um, I'm I'm actually kind of disappointed that the FAA hasn't mandated a little more. Uh, instrument or IMC conditions for the private because I think that's uh, you know that's where a lot of the bad bad stuff happens is when you get into inadvertent IMC conditions well something I didn't really experience until after I got my instrument rating was true IMC it'd been under the hood or just a little bit you know skimming the top of clouds and something I think is critical is to get primary students in the clouds the real clouds uh, because it's just you know, pardon the pun, it's night and day between a real cloud and wearing a hood. And the disorientation can come in a flash in a real cloud where the hood, you've always got the shadows or something to give you clues of where that real horizon is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, nothing beats actual IMC. And uh, um, yeah, every student who gets up to it, they just got their instrument rating. We may be in the commercial phase and they will get an airplane and, oh, we're going to just climb through this this uh, you know thousand foot layer of clouds and get on top of it and uh, go practice some maneuvers and uh, every time they uh, as soon as they get in the clouds you know they they haven't had any actual experience yet but they they take off turn give a climbing right turn right into the clouds and uh, man it's gone I have to take the controls the first time every time because they just they're gone they don't even realize they're gone too they don't even realize that they're you know in a 
thousand foot per minute descent <laughs> and oh. steepening their turn. So, <laughs> you know, okay, rely, you know, this is what we did before. Rely on your instruments, you know, look, see, this is your VSI is telling you something that's not good. So keep your scan up. But uh, yeah, that in- instrument training is invaluable and um, it, 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 it might not make, make you a better pilot, but it definitely will make you a safer one. And I think that's well worth the money. Well worth the money. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to be fortunate enough, uh, weather permitting, and it doesn't look like it, it, it's going to this coming week. Um, there is a, a salesperson slash recent friend at one of the uh, – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, once I found out what she was flying, we became good friends really quickly. Um, but she's uh, she's with, with one of the retailers out at the local airport, and she has a Mooney Acclaim Type S that has the Garmin 1000 in it. Nice, the glass cockpit. Yes. And she invited me to come out and go flying with her this week and check it out. And uh, so, of course, immediately I jumped on that chance. And so... Um, it will be my first experience actually in the air with that type of instrumentation. So yeah, I'm excited it, about that. It, it's definitely, it is completely different. It's um, everything you need is just left and right. Um, all your six instruments and that G1000. So you can walk the line and just move your eyes back and forth, left and right. And you, you have all your scan information right there as opposed to doing a, you know, they call it like the wagon wheel where you just bounce from your attitude indicator to all your other five instruments. It's a lot easier. It's a lot better. All the pretty lights look cool too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you get those new uh, glass cockpits with the, uh, the 3d terrain. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but I can't wait to get behind something that, that has that in it. I, I haven't. Have you? Um, have you guys been to any of the like AOPA or, or anything like that recently, where they're debuting these things? Or are y'all going to go to Sun and Fun? I would love to go to um, uh, Sun and Fun or Oshkosh. It's I have not ever been before, and I've been invited, but I haven't had the time to get out there. This will be my first year for Oshkosh, so I'm excited about that. Got the hotel reservation 20 miles away, but I've got the hotel reservation ready to go. Well, I'm surprised you were even able to find one 20 miles away. We're actually, we have a booth at both Sun and Fun and Oshkosh, and we will be camping. I rented one of those big RVs, so we'll actually be camping there. So if you're there, you need to come. uh, When I get my booth number, I'll, I'll email it to you. You need to come look us up and come hang out with us. That would be cool. Why don't we go ahead and take a minute and talk about the magazine since we've already alluded to it. Uh, why don't you give us a quick rundown of kind of the, uh, the, the key topics that you cover and the target audience and how we can get a copy of it. Okay. Um, Flight Plan Magazine is a magazine that is, you know, of course, across the top, it says Celebrating Women in the Aviation Lifestyle. It is a magazine that is for women in aviation or aviation female aviation enthusiasts. And kind of to tell you how it came about, I think will help kind of explain what our mission is and what our goal is. A lot of the female pilots that I know, you know, we'll, we'll sit around and hang or fly and talk about some of these issues. Gosh, you know, I just, I was eight days on and, you know, four days off and now I'm eight days back on. This is a, a pilot in command that's married and has a small child. She spends more time with her male first officer than she does her husband. And, then, of course, there's all these issues of when do you take your FMLA, whether you're cabin 
crew or, you know, when do you take that? When is the appropriate time? And of course, different types of year, different times of year are better for flying pregnant than others. Um, solar flares are an issue. Radiation is an issue. But none of these are topics that you see in your mainstream aviation magazines. And unless you're talking to other female pilots or you're on one of the few websites where people actually have forums and you can talk about these things, it's not something that the information is readily available. And it, it was an opportunity for me, and what the real goal of the magazine is, is to not only encourage more women to get in, interested in aviation, whether it's an airline mechanic, uh, line crew worker, you know, obviously cabin flight crew, but any aspect of aviation, aeronautics, aerospace, anything. Um, it's an opportunity to encourage women to get into the cockpit and to get into aviation and start flying, but also to encourage that next generation of, of young women, of girls, that yes, girls can fly. I mean, it's so funny when my daughter in you know, first grade had a project at school and one of the boys said, well, girls can't be pilots. You know, and I thought I was going to get a call from the principal because she punched the kid. Because, you know, she's like, You know, she's just, uh, I can, I can name pilot. 25 female pilots, you know. And so I, it was a way to kind of, to two of my, my big passions, which is women in aviation and, and that next generation, it was a way to tie them together. And our content, our cover features will always be women in aviation that, whatever area in aviation that they're in, but how aviation, they're using aviation to make a difference in other people's lives or how aviation, you know, something happened that spurred them to get into aviation and now they want to give back. And Linda Meeks, who is on um, the cover now, who's a NetJets pilot, she founded Girls with Wings, which um, provides role models I mean, and boy, you want to talk about diverse. She has wing walkers. She has pilots. She has, I mean, we're talking everything from Julie Clark to, you know, Zodell Nutter on there um, that are there as mentors and role models for young girls that are interested in aviation and military pilots, rotor, you know, rotary, everything. And she and I are working together on the Penelope Pilot Project, which is another project to encourage young girls to get interested in aviation but the real goal is to, um, you know, kind of get them interested in math and science and technology, make good grades in school. You need all that, you know, if you want to get your pilot's license. You've got to be good at math. You've got to, you know, those sorts of things. But then also, too, the issue that's coming out has Wilma Melville on the cover. Wilma Melville um, founded the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. And after a 27-year lapse, she went back and renewed her pilot's license at the age of 71 so that she could get her search and rescue teams to disasters faster. And so that's kind of our cover feature, is someone who is using aviation to make a difference and how aviation has made a difference in their life. And then the rest of the content is really kind of, um, you know, about women, it's Always we'll have stories about how did you get started, why did you get started. We, we do have a kid's corner where uh, we accept articles from kids all different ages about why they love aviation or why you want to be a pilot or why you want to do whatever, you know, with aviation, why you want to fly a plane. And so that's, that's pretty much um, 
what the magazine, the content of the magazine is. We'll have much more on the website. We will have um, ways that you can get started, how to find a flight instructor, the questions to ask when you're on the ground before you pick a flight instructor, questions to ask on your discovery flight. Um, I know, Steve, that was one of the things that you had said was ask questions. Absolutely oh. ask questions. And there is no stupid question. Oh, no, there's not. Definitely. You, yeah, if it, this is too important. If you do decide to go through and get your pilot's license, it's too important not to ask questions. I mean, I mean, just uh, ignoring the money part of it, if, if those questions. But, uh, yeah, the safety and the instructors and the types of airplanes and how long it will take you is, is just – uh, yeah, you have to ask so many questions, and I, I have to deal with them too. People come in all the time and ask me questions, and some of them I can't answer. I've gotten some crazy questions before, but for the, for the most part, you know, I try to do my best to make them feel comfortable and that they can get it done with the with the questions that they provide me. Yeah, I I, um, I have to laugh because when when I was uh, kind of interviewing my current instructor, we we finished, and he said, "You mean you're sure?" He said, "Are, are you done?" I said, "Yeah." I, I, I'm, I'm done. Those are all the questions I had. And he said, you mean you're not going to ask me what the braking distance of this aircraft is? <laughs> and I just, then I felt bad. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, obviously I wouldn't do that. I mean, even I know that, but, um, you know, yeah, I think that, uh, that no, no question is really a stupid question, but it is very important to get all of them out of the way. Because if you have any, if you're apprehensive about anything, or, you know, you're afraid to ask the question, that's not the right instructor. If you're afraid to ask the question, it's not the right instructor. And right. you, you've, got to, you've got to ask all those questions because if you don't, then you're not going to get up there. Okay. Right, yeah. You're just you're going to wind up um, wasting your time and money in the long run, really. Because by the time you figure out that there was a question that you needed to ask, then it's kind of too late. Were you able to stick with one instructor through your training so far, or have you had to switch around? No, I've had one. I've been I've been lucky, and he's been very patient with me with you know my my time constraints and my issues and you know for for me at this point it's I spend so much time working on the magazine that you know I have to force myself to get away from the computer and the phone and everything and that is my catharsis right now because nobody I, I'm unreachable. And I can I can get up there and we can fly and of course it's mentally it's it's taxing because you know there's so much I don't know and it's like the more I learn the more I realize I, I need to learn and I'm that perpetual student you know I'm always wanting I'll I'll do a whole bunch of studying at, you know at home and then I'll get there and say hey and I learned about this and I read about this and he's like that's great that's in a book it's not in an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> kind of bursts my bubble and it's like, oh, but man, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. You know, that's, that's 10 steps ahead. You need to stay where we are right now. Let's get this right. And then we can move on to this, you know, sort of thing. And so, um, but no, I, I've been, I've been really fortunate. Um, he's very patient with me, which is oh, a good thing. Well, it sounds like you found a good instructor. Uh, I was lucky as well. Uh, I found a, a good part 61 instructor and I was able to stick with them through both uh, private and instrument. I have several friends that went through the uh, the, the, the bigger kind of churning type schools where they may go 60 or 100 hours and in that time have four or five different instructors. Either they go on to the majors or they just uh, get fired in one case and 
it's really hard to maintain any momentum when you get a new instructor every couple of months. Well, and that was one of the reasons that I, I opted not to go to um, to one of the larger schools and, and to go through the local flying club and, and get private instruction is because I felt like, one, they would have a much more personal invested interest in my success, but also in, you know, just the, the encouragement aspect of it and, and helping walk me through, because like I said, I, I am a very apprehensive flyer. I mean, I have that lump in my throat and, you know, I'm just very nervous every time we take off. And to once we get, you know, once we're close to altitude or, you know, we're halfway there, I start to feel better. But uh, at least initially, it, it, it is very, still very frightening for me. And I think that probably in the future, as I get more ratings, I want, I want tailwheel, I want float plane, I want multi-engine, you know, of course, IFR. I think as I continue to improve, I'll feel better. But where I am right now, I'm still very nervous flyer. So I'm, I'm fortunate to have an instructor that's really patient. I find that the the best thing because I get I get students all the time that are in the same boat as you actually, um, and uh, I find the best thing to get them over that fear is to get them out fly maybe in conditions where they would where they would uh, not want to fly in but it's still safe. Um, I, I don't know if you have your personal minimum set yet, but a good thing for a, a private student to do is to set some personal minimums on what he he feels comfortable flying in. That way, the instructor, you know, the instructor will take you up in something that you're not, and uh, and get you familiar with it. Because uh, um, that's that's something I do is uh, I ask my student what his personal minimums are. Oh, I won't go fly with ceilings less than a thousand feet or uh, winds over 15 knots, and um, I'll take them up in 25 knot winds or you know the ceilings low, and you know, hopefully they take a little comfort that. You know, I'm behind the controls there. You know, I'm not going to let anything bad happen, but just to get the feel for that. And after maybe one or two flights, they they come in and they don't really give me that look that says I don't want to fly or I'm going to cancel on you or you know they come in more excited. You know, oh man, because uh, when you do go fly in those kind of conditions, you come back with those great stories. You know, oh that landing was great. We had to have it. You know. We were we did the wing low method coming in just over ground effect and we we hit the thousand foot markers and we stopped in fifty feet and we taxied off and it was great it was exhilarating and you know I never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Live through it, never want to do it again. I have to say that that when I first started, um, you know, it's funny because you said fifteen knots and that was kind of my threshold because if there was going to be any any bumps any anything, I I I just I didn't want to go up and. Um, I had an opportunity, uh, a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, her son actually was an angel flight mission recipient. And she asked me if I would come along. She's like, you know, you're, you're in flight school and you'll know what's going on. And, you know, if anything happens and I'm thinking, I have what, six hours. I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know? And we flew from Dallas to Oklahoma city and as we were on approach, it, it really got very, very windy and lots of crosswinds. And it was one of those where when we finally landed, it, it was kind of jump out of the plane, kiss the ground sort of thing. But me, in, my, in my mind, I knew what was going on and I was very frightened. But at the same time, I have my friend and her seven-year-old son behind me. 
And I'm constantly, you know, I've got one hand kind of holding hers and it's going to be fine. We do this all the time. This is no big deal. And I, you know, I've looked at uh, the pilot and said, what is it, about 25? It can't be more than that. And he just looked at me like, are you crazy? (laughs) Yeah, stick with that number, honey. It's 25. (laughs) And uh, so I, I had to spend so much time keeping them comforted that it kind of comforted me a little bit. And then once we, we landed, we were actually grounded until the next day. And I was very thankful that we, uh, we didn't try and, and, and take off in the six hours that we were supposed to. But so that was one of those, those where I had set kind of my ceiling and my wind speed very low. And then after that, I said, okay, well, that's what 25 to 30 knots feels like. Okay. I can handle that. Not on a regular basis, but I can handle that. I, I had a student I remember from um, – see, I teach in academies, and I had a student in the uh, – I guess it was my my second academy, and I'd only been an instructor for about uh, eight months at this time. And uh, we got out. Uh, it was very windy, and uh, it was it was about 25 knots, but I had flown in worse, so not a problem. We took off. It was right down the runway just a straight headwind right down the pipe and we took off and uh as we went out and did some uh, uh maneuvers um the wind picked up it got up to 45 knots and um it became a direct crosswind now the the good thing about Meacham Airport where I do my instructing out of is it has a crosswind runway it has a 0927 uh runway and so um you know of course we called for that runway and we were flying base. On the base, we started slowing down quite a bit. We turned final. My student um, uh, uh, got on a stabilized approach. It was it was right down. We were coming in. We were coming in really slow. I think our airspeed was indicating 80 knots, and our GPS ground speed was indicating 16 uh, over the ground. And uh, just slowest final I've ever been on and we got to about 100 feet above the runway and the student out of habit just pulled the power to idle and uh, we came to a complete stop in midair 100 feet above the runway but because of the headwind we kind of hovered down a little bit we just slowly pitched the nose down and we just floated to the runway we landed on the numbers and we got off the immediate taxiway to the right of the numbers and it it was perfectly fine and um, uh never having done that it kind of freaked me out a little bit but at the end of his training when he was multi-engine commercial and he was going back to uh i think he was from um, uh, panama he came up to me and he said i will always remember that landing that is my greatest airplane story and thank you so much for doing that i'm not so much afraid of the winds anymore he goes that that as my greatest highlight out of my whole training and so that made me feel pretty good that that wound up being a beneficial experience for him as to oppose a negative one. Did he end up with a uh, helicopter rating after that? Uh, (laughs) No, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Well, Susan, we thank you for being here. And uh, we wanted to also find out how do people get in touch with you? Uh, Oh, you can go to the website, which is www.flightplanmagazine.com. And all of my contact information is there. Um, You'll be able to pick up copies of the magazines at Signature, um, Elite, Atlantic, and Cutter, uh, Millionaire, any of the FBOs. 
that you might uh, go into, uh, those will actually start to be distributed in March with the March-April issue. And uh, so you'll be able to pick us up at any of your, your local FBOs across the country, the larger FBOs across the country. Any of the, uh, the larger air shows will be at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh and encourage anybody to come by and, and talk to us. And, you know, one thing, too, that, that I want to kind of say here is we're always looking for those great stories. You know, women are out there in aviation and they're successful and, and they've got great stories and great experiences. And we'd love to hear them. We'd love to have them on the pages of the magazine. We'd love to have them on the website. So, you know, if you hit the contact us page in the, in the memo section, just send me a little short blip. Hey, I met this woman. I think this might be interesting, or I'd love to tell you my story. Uh, Things like that. So that's the website is definitely the best way to, uh, to to find our information. Well, thanks again for being with us, and uh, we hope to be seeing you at Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. And, thank you uh, guys too. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being here. That was excellent. I learned a lot. Thank you for listening to the Pilot's Journey podcast. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions, or experiences. And you can reach us at our website, www.pilotsjourneypodcast.com. Or you can leave us voicemail at 469-277-2359. You can also follow me as Pilot Stu, that's S-T-U, on Twitter or MyTransponder.com. You can reach me on Twitter, MyTransponder.com as well, at Pilot Stu, that's S-T-E-W. And until next time, go fly and enjoy the journey. Please note that this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own qualified flight instructor before attempting anything discussed in this podcast. Copyright 2009, Fully Stewed Productions.